Hi, I'm Scott. I'm Seth. And I'm Emil. And we are track walking. Tonight we have Sir Emil Tab of GLTC and winning Formula Fame. Uh, Miata driver, Cater Ham, builder, father, guru, mechanic. What's up, Emil? How's it going? Good to see you guys. Yeah, you too. Actually see you. Yeah, thanks for having me on too. So we're wanted you on because, I mean, really ever since I started this doing this GLTC thing, like I've been on track with you somewhere. Sure. Back a ways. But it was really when we came, when you and I were K-swapping our cars at the same time and all of a sudden I'm like I actually know a guy who's friendly willing to help and knows way more about mechanics and cars than I do so first of all I apologize for the incessant amount of questions like (laughs) I think if you go through our Facebook message history it's basically me asking you questions Uh, I've asked you a couple questions along the way I'm sure but yeah you're also not the only person that I've provided hours and hours of uh, K-Swap tech support to, so I'll, uh, yeah. I'll, I'll be waiting for my check from uh, K-Miata on that <laughs> someday. Nice, yeah. <laughs> no, those guys take care of yeah, me. Yeah, they, they should be putting your name on their car. Yeah. <laughs> um, so how did, you, how did you actually get into cars in the first place? Where does that start for you? Gosh, I guess probably high school is when I got, you know, sort of serious into them. I've always been interested in cars. My dad would take me to the racetrack when I was really young um, for things like, you know, SCCA races or something. He never actually raced himself. Um, He did like a couple autocrosses when I was like maybe 14 or so. And that I really, you know, that the bug really bit me then. Um, I, let's see, straight out of high school. Well, I did some autocrossing in high school. And then I kind of figured out that, uh, that college and that route wasn't really for me at the time. It didn't seem like it anyways. And uh, uh, my dad had sent me to a racing school in Canada to take their, um, their formula car, like you know, week long racing course. And that was, a, yeah. that was really my first uh, like on track experience. The rest of it was just autocrossing and dreaming and in a, f- in yeah. a formula car. Yes. Yeah. Wow. So. What did you autocross? What car were you autocrossing? Uh, <laughs> so I had a, my, my dad had a, a 91 Miata, uh, actually white, not this car, but basically could have been this car that, that I'm racing now. And, uh, and then my first car was an 87 Renault GTA, which is a super obscure car. It would just happen to kind of yeah, stumble upon it when, uh, when I was 16. And um, I thought it was like different enough and kind of cool enough that it might be fun to own. Um, in actuality, it was a giant hunk of junk, uh, but it did teach me a lot about the, the need to, you know, properly maintain and, and, and do some work on your car to actually keep it running. Um, yeah. so that, that was my first autocross experience. Yeah. What? The whole, uh, owning a Renault sounds fun. I just love that, that that was a thought that you had back yeah. in your head when you were a teenager that that puts a lot of things in perspective for me going forward that's really why i asked that <laughs> well i actually don't want you to judge me for that because that's if i could look at 16 year old emil and and uh and his decision to buy a renault as the first car i probably would have you know <laughs> thrown him up against the wall or something but 
No, slapped I slapped him in the mouth. My dream car at the time was either like a '93 Sentra SCR or like a Civic SI Ooh. or something like that. Um, yeah. You know, EG EG hatchback SI. Uh, but all I could afford at the time was a Renault GTA, which happened to be like a sporty version of the standard Renault. Uh, it was like yep. a two door, two liter. Um, they only weighed like 18 or 1900 pounds from the factory, like incredibly lightweight car because it was basically like a tin can death trap. But yeah, uh, so it actually handled pretty well. Um, but, you know, just a ter- terrible build quality and and uh, not not a good not a good car to own. <laughs> no. <laughs> so I'm I'm curious about your dad. You said he never drove on track yet. He took you to racetracks and sent you to formula school. What, yeah. what was his motivation in that or what was his fascination? I think it's one of those things where, you know, you kind of always hope for your kids like a better future or maybe a more exciting uh, career path than, than mm. you may maybe have, uh, you know, uh, aspired to. Um, sure. So when he saw that I loved racing and cars and all that stuff, um, he wanted to try to set me on the path to to some sort of motorsports career uh, and or you know some sort of driving career which obviously was always going to be an extremely low uh, probability of ever occurring um, but I did turn it into a, a profession um, so I went to that racing school um, I took the like five day racing course you know uh, graduated at the top of the whatever it was like 10 or 15 member uh, class. It came back for the three-day advanced course, and then um, uh, I saw that uh, you know they they had full-time staff mechanics to maintain the race cars. I was like, that looks kind of fun. And uh, and then it turns out they actually have, and they also have this at places like Skip Barber or um, there used to be another Jim Russell school in California. They have a mechanics training program, which is like a year-long program where you're basically slave labor to the school. You have to like maintain the cars, you know, night and day, yeah. you know, sun up to sundown. Uh, but they teach you how to work on the cars along the way. Um, and uh, that seemed like a, a way cooler path than, than college to me f- for, for high school. So I actually ended up graduating a semester early from high school and uh, I went up to Canada to do that, that year long program. Jeez. Yep. So up in Canada, like how, I mean, their their race season's pretty short compared to ours. Yeah. So, what does that look like? So it was like the first few months, like month or two. I think I got there in like early April, and we spent maybe a month or two, like with classroom uh, instruction, um, okay. and then also like sort of preparing the cars for the season. And then the the racing season, I think, really went on to like maybe October or November before the weather started oh, wow. getting cold enough. Um, okay. This was like uh, about an hour, 45 minutes, 45 minutes north of Montreal at a track called Montremblant. Have you ever heard of it? Used to I've be, heard of it. Used to be an F1 yeah. track back in, I think, the 60s. Um, and uh, it's been since by, uh, bought by maybe even Lance Stroll's dad may, may partially own it or something. Mm. And they like totally re- revamped the place. But um, but yeah, it's a it's a it's a cool little track. And um, I did a lot of racing there. One of the one of the things with the mechanics training program is you also get to take all the racing courses, which I had already taken when I started. So they just let me do a lot of testing in the cars, um, and then they have a it was a six race mechanics championship. We got a, we got our own 
like little mini championship that we got to run. So that's cool. You get to actually go out there and like beat on the cars that you've been, you know, pouring your blood, sweat, and tears into for, for, uh, for months and months. Did that, did that experience of like having to maintain the cars that you were also beating up on track, did that like instill some mechanical sympathy in you because you knew you had to fix them or what, what was that relationship like? For sure. Um, yeah, you know, we, we, uh, we had weekends where, cause there was an, a customer racing championship as well that we, so we would do the normal school, uh, things during the week where there would be three or five day courses. And then on the weekend, they would have customers come in and race the cars. And those were when the, the accidents really happened. And so there were multiple times where we would pull all nighters to get the cars ready for Monday morning for another round of school, uh, school. you know, courses. Um, and there was there was one point, uh, I guess it was maybe the low light of my career there. <laughs> it, I, I was up for 48 hours straight. Um, I went in, I think it was like 6 a.m. Saturday morning to start, you know, what would be the customer racing uh, weekend. And uh, we had cars wreck, like one jumped on top of the other, rode off something like five or six cars. So uh, Saturday night, we had to stay and fix all the cars for Sunday's races. And then Sunday was a similar thing, like rode off two or three cars. We had to stay all night Sunday night to get the cars ready for the school courses Monday morning. And so I literally went into went into the shop at 6 a.m. Saturday morning and went home at 6 a.m. on Monday morning to like get a couple hours of sleep. That was the longest I've ever worked. Uh, uh, you know, even even with even my professional racing mechanic career, that that was that was the longest I'd ever had had to work uh, in a row. Um, but I think it taught you taught you more about um, like work ethic than necessarily like. Um, even anything we learned, like with the nuts and bolts of maintaining the cars, it was just like, you know, you kind of came to expect the long hours, the, the, the grind sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, and then that kind of set you up for, set me up for, you know, what was a pretty good, uh, career in motorsports as well. Yeah. I would, I would imagine that, you know, not just putting in the hours or like, getting your 40 hour week which you did more than that in two days it sounded like yep. but that you have a job that needs to get done now yeah and you stand you do it until it is done yep Jeez. were you just like did you do you even remember your drive home after that oh no <laughs> it was it just uh, i mean that that whole I think the whole course maybe lasted 10 months total. It was like basically a blur, you know, yeah. the whole thing was just, uh, it was crazy. I was happy when it was over, but it, it was, there were some enjoyable times too. Sure. So, so do the students, do the students from that typically then go on to be race mechanics or are they burned out and do, do <laughs> they burn them all the way out or do they, are they still excited when they get done with that? Uh, it's probably like a 10% ratio tops of guys that actually go into motorsports. And I've kept up with a lot of the guys that were in my class um, of the, the race mechanics training program. Um, and I can only think of maybe three or four that actually pursued a career in motorsports. 
like one guy's a firefighter, you know, one guy's a drug dealer. <laughs> so it's it's a. <laughs> Uh, but of the, world. the guys that did the guys that did stay in motorsports um, actually had really good careers. A couple guys went through IndyCar, were like chief mechanics on IndyCar teams, um, which I definitely could have uh, done if I had stayed in it. Um, uh, there was a guy that, that is still working up in Canada, um, doing some form of uh, you know driver training. Uh, he actually trained uh, Lance Stroll, like started Lance Stroll in cars and kind of brought him through the lower formulas before he went to uh, uh, Europe to do all his, uh, I think he maybe started in F2 or F3 in Europe and then obviously went on to Formula One. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, F, I think you almost have to start F3, yeah. but I'm not, I'm not terribly familiar with the hierarchy there. So, so you left or you got done mm-hmm. and then what was next? What did you, did you feel like, yeah, this is it. This is what I want to do. Uh, I mean, I still I still knew I wanted a career in motorsports. I figured a, an actual job has to be better than what I was dealing with at the school. Because <laughs> uh, not only are you working on nicer cars, but you're also you have semi more normal hours and stuff. So I started sending mm-hmm. my resume out to every race team that I could find. And uh, a, a team in California uh, replied to me. And brought me out for a test day at Buttonwillow, um, and I was there for, you know, maybe a day. The team owner, I met the team owner. He kind of watched me work on the car, and and uh, he extended an invitation for me to move out to California, basically right away. Um, he's like, "We we need you full time." We, you know, I think he could tell that I, I was going to be a good addition to the team. So uh, so uh, myself and my girlfriend, now wife at the uh, time. Um, picked up and moved to uh, Palm Springs, California to work for uh, a team. At the time, they were running um, Formula Continental or Formula Ford 2000, uh, Star Mazda, and then they also had a Toyota Atlantic effort. Um, And uh, so I I worked on all three of those teams and uh, and really like my the bulk of my career was uh, was with the Star Mazda effort. So um, I worked for that team for eight years, which is almost unheard of in motorsports to stay with the same team with the same you know same crew for eight years it's like motorsports is a lot of like one and done or maybe two or three years and then they lose a deal kind of thing um that that team i I stayed on for eight years until uh i just decided that it was time for us to kind of put roots down and actually like buy a home and and start having kids and stuff so we knew we couldn't do that in california we moved back to louisville then Sure. Yeah. Is that where you're from originally? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I I grew up most of my life in uh, the northern Virginia because my uh, parents had divorced and, and married other people. So my dad and stepmom were in Kentucky. My mom and stepdad were in Virginia. And uh, I met my wife uh, when I was uh, in Louisville visiting my dad. And then we've been together ever since. That was uh, like 98, I guess. So it's been a long nice. time. You should tell the viewers, even though it sounds like I have this like cool, like you know, oh, he drives race cars and stuff. I'm actually old and <laughs> <laughs> old and crotchety. I just turned forty yeah. last week, so I, I wasn't going to bring it up if you weren't. No, so. it's fine. I've accepted it. <laughs> yeah, you still sound so young and excited. And that's, uh, that's yeah, there's... the audio is a lie. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm the youngest guy on here, and 
I don't feel like that's saying a whole lot. So, <laughs> um, so you're you're yeah, eight years with a race team that is really impressive. That yeah, not only that they liked you for that long, but the fact that the team was a team for that long that's that is yeah rare. And they're still a team today, and I would still be working for them if I didn't decide to kind of move on and and uh yeah. and settle down a little bit um, yeah. but a lot of the guys that i worked with then still work for the team today it's a phenomenal place to work um, sounds like it yep uh so i what, actually um, started well not to bore you with more stories but um i started on the why, team why do you think we're here yeah <laughs> yeah that's that's it that's all we want is kind of the point <laughs> i started on yeah. the team as a basically like a number two mechanic so there was like a lead mechanic for every car and then i was kind of like these apprentice but i already had like you know most uh general knowledge about the cars um and within i guess three or four years i was like crew chief for the entire team and um responsible for all the mechanics who each had their own car and uh and kind of helped develop all the all the procedures and protocols that we put put together to try to make the cars more reliable and and um and you know perform better on track um so it was sort of a a wild ride for for eight years and i've always kind of wondered this between being a mechanic and being a crew chief i i guess what i have in my head is that as crew chief you do a whole lot less hands-on work with turning wrenches and things like that one i guess is that true and two like what's the transition like and what what do you like and dislike about each of the jobs it's definitely true um when you're a crew chief like that the only time you usually touch the cars is if something like bad has happened and <laughs> the the number one or number two mechanic you know is not able to perform the fix um i didn't enjoy the crew chief position as much as i did like the lead mechanic position i liked having my own car that i was responsible for and you know, I had control of everything. Whereas the the crew chief position was like you're relying on a lot of other guys who may be, you know, less uh, uh, experienced or less capable um, to to try to maintain these cars and, and keep them safe and, and reliable. And that's that's actually more stressful to me than just having my own car. Um, so my favorite year of the the whole the whole uh, eight years was far and away like the 05, 06 seasons uh, where I had, I was number one on a car. I had a really great number two mechanic, a really great engineer and data guy that, that uh, worked very closely with. And we, um, we won uh, the star Mazda championship that year with that car and driver. Um, That's awesome. We qualified on pole for like half of the races podiumed, I think for about half of the races and just had a really consistent, um, uh, season and like we literally won the championship we didn't even have to necessarily show up to the last round we had the, the points lead uh was that big so that was that was great because the car the car turned every you know ran every lap of every race never had a problem um and that was kind of like the i guess the highlight of my racing career and then on top of that i won the uh the uh, crew member of the year award that year which is like something they give out to one person in the paddock every year of like you know somebody that's I guess at the top of their game and whatever they do, whether it's data or, 
or uh, even I think they've even given it to like truck drivers before. Um, but I was very honored to win that award. Yeah. And that's not just in your one team. That's like in the entire paddock. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah the the series a... gives out that award. And like the list of people that have won that award have gone on to, you know, some pretty crazy stuff. So um, I was pretty honored to to get that. That's cool. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it I think it says a lot. That's one thing like Becky and I kind of have to by necessity is like we have to have a reliable car. Mm hmm. Um, you know, because that's what gets us home at the end of the day. Yeah. But I think that's also means something huge in a racing series to have a car that's not only performs at an incredibly high level, like it sounds that, that your car was, but that it's also reliable enough and it finishes races on a regular basis. Like, yeah, I, I think that'd be a big feather in your cap for that one. Yep. Yeah, that's the one I was most proud of for sure cuz you know, it's to have your car finish every every lap of every session without without problems. That's that's the kind of stuff that keeps me up at night, making sure that the car's, you know, <laughs> going to finish the race. So, right. Yep. That's what haunts your dreams. It does, yeah. Nightmare fuel. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's translated over to my GLTC career. I wouldn't say my car's like necessarily always a front runner. It's always like kind of up in the mix, but um, it's it's always consistent and uh, and I'm always kind of near the top. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Yeah. No, I'd, I'd agree. I'm with either engine that you've had in that you're built BP or this K motor. Yeah, you're just you're consistent. Consistency, even in sprint racing, is dangerous is by the end of a weekend. Like, yeah, you know, you finish second to fourth all weekend like you're you're gonna be really close up there yeah i'm the annoying guy that like finishes on the podium at the end of the weekend and like hasn't won a race or hasn't has barely even <laughs> scratched you know the top five or top three during the weekend <laughs> you're like where'd sure. he come from <laughs> you know but so so you guys you and your wife at this point moved back yes you guys yeah. got married out there okay. uh yep so you moved back to Louisville. Louisville. <laughs> Close. Did I yeah, say that, that right? that's bet. The second one was better. Yeah. What? Yeah. See, I didn't even know there was a difference. <laughs> cool. Um, and I'm from Indiana. I should. I feel like I should know this, being close enough. Um, so what? You came back and. Yeah. So we came just, back in 2006, and uh, I still worked for the racing team for a few years. I was like the fly-in guy. Um, okay. We were building a new shop at the time, so they would fly me out for like a month or two at a time to kind of help set the shop up and, you know, prep the cars for the next race or whatever it was. And um, I, I had like little part-time jobs here and there in town, but I could really afford to live on even my part-time racing salary at the time um, and still continue to fly out to all the races and stuff. So I'd be gone, you know, one or two weeks out of the month uh, or more during the, the, the peak racing season. Um, sure. and that lasted for a few years before it was really like, you know, my wife had a full-time job. We were about to have our first kid, which was back in 2009. And, uh, and it, it made sense for me to just get a full-time job in Louisville. And, um, sure. shortly thereafter, I got hooked up with Aaron at the winning formula and I've been there ever since. 
Yeah, so I don't necessarily want you to tell Aaron's story because I I would imagine at some point we would rope him into to doing one of these as well. But yeah, so he the shop was started by someone else. He bought it or became the owner, manager, CEO, COO, all that stuff. Yep. Um, how did how did you guys get hooked up? Were you doing track days and stuff like that around Louisville at the time? I was. Louisville? Yeah, I had a I had a Honda Civic that I like mildly track prepped, and just like you, I would drive it to and from the events. Um, and uh, yeah, that sounds dumb. <laughs> yeah, that's completely <laughs> <It was> idiotic. <laughs> I actually enjoyed it. You know, put your headphones in and just cruise to the track. Um, yep. Yeah, there was always that worry that the car would, you know, something would break at the track. I'd try to carry as much spares as I, as I could, but there's always the worry. You just, you know, you have AAA, and if you need to upgrade to unlimited towing to get you home, that's what you do. I, luckily, I never had to ch- choose that option, but, um, yeah. yeah, and, you know, I always, I always saw Aaron at the track, and there's always the guys that are faster than everyone else, and you kind of key in on them, and, uh, you know, you'll, you'll get... Uh, in the same sector of a lap together and realize that, Oh, this guy's actually getting it done. And so then we started talking and, um, uh, I, I think I maybe started following them on Instagram or Facebook or something. And I was like, man, these guys do some pretty serious, seriously nice work. And it just seemed like a really good fit for me. I was kind of just working at like a sort of normal, um, uh, sort of day to day, uh, repair shop at the time. Sure. And uh, we did a little bit of performance work, but it wasn't really the kind of work that I liked. It was like turbo kits and we had a dyno and I didn't really care about any of that stuff. And uh, I just wanted to do track prep and, and racing type stuff. So, um, yeah, I sent Aaron an, a message on Facebook. And the way he tells the story, he was actually talking to his wife that night. And he was like, we really need another guy. As I've only got one guy on my list and I don't want to ask him, you know, if he wants to work for me, cause I don't want to feel like I'm poaching him from his other job. And, uh, I guess he was like literally talking to his wife about that that night and, you know, got the Facebook message and it was me asking if he ever had any interest in hiring anybody else and to keep me in mind. And, uh, did, did he try to play it real cool? Be like, uh, I mean, we'll keep you in mind. <laughs> <laughs> now it was very obvious that, that he was incredibly interested and, um, and uh, yeah, so I put my two weeks in. My, my old boss wasn't happy because he knew I was going on to greener pastures, and uh, yeah, and I was over with Aaron, you know, the next week basically. So yeah, yeah. I mean that's that. I think that speaks a, a hell of a lot to you again. That you know you were with that race team, that that guy for so long, and you put in your notice and he's still bummed <laughs> to see you leave like after that whole time. Yeah. Not like, yeah, good. <laughs> Go. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and it's been, it's been great at the winning formula. It's like, it's such a rare, uh, occurrence, I guess in, in life in general to find something that is so your niche, you know, that's, that's local to you. Um, you know, we, we do normal service work as well, which I don't, I don't hate either. Um, I enjoy working, working on just regular day to day, you know, street cars. Um, but then we do the race car builds and, uh, we have a couple of customers with like purpose built race cars, like a Juno sports racer and a formula Ford. 
and I get to work on those and actually kind of use some of my past experience from the racing team. Like the Juno has a, just for example, has a Hewland sequential gearbox. That was the same gearbox that was in the Star Mazda that I, I could literally take apart and put back together with my eyes closed. Um, so kind of funny that like, you know, we end up with a customer with a car with the exact same gearbox that I, that I sort of learned how to work on. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. I was going to ask you what the difference is living in the the two worlds. I always think there's a, a, a different world between purpose-built race cars, formula cars, and the race teams around them, and uh, converted street cars, if you will. Um, seems, mm-hmm. like a, seems like a different game. And um, from the outside, people watch. You're like, oh, race cars on track. But they're really very different machines. Um, and working on them is really, really different. Or it seems to me like it's really, really different. Um, the organization and all that. How is, from, you're, you're like the real guy who, who, who can confirm my opinions or tell me I'm full of crap. But is it, that, is it that different being in those two different worlds or is it really similar? It's extremely different. Um, as far as like the, the nuts and bolts of things, at the end of the day, you know, they're all held together with, similar types of (laughs) similar types of fasteners so you know it's like uh uh, a lot of the mechanical knowledge transfers um the like hierarchy of the the crew members and the data guys and the engineers and all that stuff is gone with with uh you know amateur racing um you know like i used to say like uh when i was on the team there was there was like four or five people dedicated to making the car run and then you've got the driver and uh and the truck driver and all the other people whereas uh with with the amateur racing that we do i mean i'm the setup guy i'm the guy that maintains the car i'm the guy that refuels the car i'm the guy that drives the truck to and from the event i'm the guy that preps the car between the events and i'm the driver of the race car as well um so there's different levels of it but i actually enjoy both of them um i would say the racing stuff is a lot more uh stressful to me uh, because there's a lot more on the line uh, the professional racing side, I should say. Um, and that, that always, like I said before, that was what really drove me to, um, uh, to make sure that the car was as, as, resli- as reliable as it could be. Um, cause the, the last thing I wanted was some sort of problem with the car. Um, so I was going to say drink, but yeah, that seems more, <laughs> a little bit of that reasonable. No, it, it was a two drink maximum during race weekends on the, on the, pr- on the pro team and yeah, uh, we would always joke and say it was a two drink minimum <laughs> but we we would we there's didn't a, very heavily during the weekend sometimes we didn't get to drink at all because we were at the track rebuilding the car that night there's a there's a fine line there i mean yeah a li- yeah. little bit helps too much hurts so yeah so is that where uh is that where your love of bourbon came from <laughs> gosh I, I mean i don't think you can live in louisville without falling yeah. in love with bourbon a little bit I'm not nearly as crazy as uh, some of my friends about bourbon, but I do enjoy it. Yeah, some of your friends are pretty deep into it. Yep, for sure. I I prefer like a good old fashioned more than like straight neat bourbon. Um, but I'm uh, I guess my taste buds are a little bit too sensitive to drink that high test stuff all the time. Since I usually need, yeah, I usually need a little ice or something to to water it down and cool it off if you're trying to apologize you don't have to apologize here (laughs) (laughs) 
drink, drinking straight whiskey is not something for everybody. No, for sure. So where does so the the two cars that you have now and that you're kind of known for are your white Miata that we see is right behind you, and yep. your white Caterham. Mm-hmm. Um, where did those come into the picture? Uh, the Miata I purchased, um, I guess it was about three years ago, two, two and a half years ago from Jeff Preston. It used to be his old NASA, uh, PTE, a TTE race car. Um, at the time it had like a, you know, 1.8 swapped, uh, just factory engine. And, um, at some point Jeff, Jeff is kind of a nerdy guy in an, yeah. and saying that in a nice way. Um, he loves to tinker. And at some point he took it apart to do something and the car never got put back together and it became a shelf in his garage for parts for another car that he was building. And I just hated to see it, you know, sit there and suffer. And then on top of that, it was actually like genuinely in his way in his garage. And uh, I uh, was looking for a Miata to do some to do some racing in. And this was even before Grid Life Touring Cup was announced. I was going to build the car as a a WRL enduro car because I was on a team where we would uh, I would drive other people's cars uh, Jeff had a car and then my, my friend Pervez who also races in GLTC had a, a enduro car and we would kind of swap back and forth between their cars I wanted to be able to put a car up of my own to kind of share the share the enduro load you know what I mean mm-hmm. so I bought the car from Jeff to to build it as like a budget enduro car to to just you know turn laps in and then GLTC was announced, and basically my world has been a a whirlwind <laughs> since then. Still a steep, steep decline after that. Arm, arms racing, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's escalated quickly. For sure, I started building the car. I think it was basically like I don't know January of 2019, and I want to say the rules may have been announced. Were the GLTC rules announced? Was it Christmas Day? Christmas, yeah, Christmas Day. Yeah, I guess I started building the car in December then, because I know I had already started like acquiring parts for it, and then the GLTC rules were announced. I was like, man, that sounds awesome. I'd done one Grid Life event before then, and loved the Grid Life guys, and had just barely like scratched the surface of what, how cool that paddock is, and that whole that whole group mm-hmm. of guys and gals, and uh, I had no idea at the time that it would even turn into what it did. Um, but when the, when the rules were announced and I was already building a car, I was like, well, I can kind of like massage the, the build of the car to suit, you know, the GP3 WRL Enduro class and GLTC. Uh, little did I know GLTC was going to basically consume the rest of my life, uh, for, for a couple of years, uh, a couple of years ahead of time. Um, and, uh, I, I made it a, a, a priority to be at the first GLTC race. And boy, it did did not disappoint. It was such an awesome event. And yeah, uh, I remember it was mid Ohio, and I think the second day that Sunday, it was like early April. It was really cold, and I want to say we had four races on Sunday. Does that seem right? Yeah, I think. Well, I think they did two on Saturday and three on Sunday, or something like that. Does that sound right? Yeah, we may have done a practice and then two or three races. Yeah. I, I just remember being like getting in the car for that last race. Like, 
I is like one of those weird like complex emotions like I wanted to go racing but I was really tired <laughs> <laughs> that's the only GLTC race I've not I did not start uh, uh, I guess I you know you couldn't technically call it a DNF because I didn't even start the race but the the end of the previous race I felt something weird with my clutch and basically the throw out bearing uh, which I had just put in um, had failed uh, so I didn't even start the last race, but yeah. man, watching it from the hill in, uh, in, the, uh, the S's watching that field stream into China beach, uh, the cars look really fast when, I mean, I don't know how many watch races you've watched and you know, when you've been at the track and actually not participated in the racing, but the cars are fat, like they look fast from, from the outside and, uh, just watching that field stream into China beach for that first lap was like, it was exciting. Um, I had just as much fun watching the race as I would have done participating in it, probably finishing 10th or 15th. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm hopefully going to continue this streak. I think save for the the one race at Gingerman in October, I've finished every GLTC race that I've started, and I've started every one. Um, that's when we decided to use black did you hear this story about our brakes oh yeah 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 <laughs> yeah don't use black you got duct a little... tape on black hair dam just don't do it you got a little jeff preston in you that's what that's what i'm gonna say oh uh, yeah yeah you're a tinkerer you're like man i could pick up five hundredths of a second if i tape my brake ducts off and then forget to take the tape off uh, you have no idea that's like half the conversations i have with scott are me asking him what weird <laughs> tiny little thing he's working on right now because he's always <laughs> working on some weird tiny little thing constantly well yeah. when I, did this become a roast of scott yeah well, oh, <laughs> listen to the show enough have, it's always sort of i, I was about to say like have you met my friend seth and <laughs> <laughs> yeah we love you scott i i love and appreciate all of you all take a good roast um yeah it's you know it's weird because like i i like cars and i like tweaking and working on cars and you know it's like some of the aero panels that we did this year it's like is that going to get me another spot in gltc no um absolutely not <laughs> will it maybe help uh, i don't know probably maybe but yeah probably um, won't hurt exactly probably yeah. um but yeah it's like i've after that first year in gltc i knew like what would be what's the lowest hanging fruit that's keeping us back there and it was certainly power mm -hmm. i mean that we had that stock vvt so like power was the next obvious thing so we added power for last year as did you um you know still percentage wise about the same <laughs> point in the field because of the arms race that we were talking about yeah and um and i certainly you know, getting to know you better and looking at comparing some data points and stuff like that with you. I, I've learned last year that the lowest hanging fruit, uh, is me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am that lowest hanging fruit that needs to get improved. Uh, we so, all have, we all have room for improvement. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so what, so, and you've actually endurance raced the Miata, like you just didn't, start like you've actually raced it in endurance yep. stuff what was it about um 
and this isn't like necessarily a plug for GLTC because we do that all the time anyway, but what what was it between the WRL stuff and GLTC that just made you gravitate towards grid life? Uh, I still enjoy the endurance racing. Um, I actually think it's probably a little bit higher stress for me because it's usually, you know, goes back to my professional racing career. I'm always worried that there's going to be a problem with the car and, you know, we're going to have to fix it mid-race or just the embarrassment of having a problem with the car. Um, but the, the team aspect of the endurance racing is actually like probably my favorite part because uh, the, the series that we compete in, um, you actually have competitive pit stops. Some budget enduro series, they have like a minimum pit stop time. So you can't, you know, can't refuel faster than, than, uh, right. than whatever it is, five minutes or something. Uh, whereas in WRL, it's like the faster you can get in, service the car, change the drivers and get out is a competitive advantage. And, you know, we, we live for that sort of stuff. So we set the cars up correctly, the, the vents for the fuel systems, the, the fast fill fuel jugs, the, we practice the driver changes, we uh, have spare parts on hand. I've literally done a front hub and uh, like a, we had a rear wheel hub fail at mid-Ohio. And I don't even think we lost a lap for that one. Um, <laughs> so it was uh, stuff like that is, is, is actually enjoyable to me the team aspect of the sport. Um, but when, when I'm at a grid life event, obviously the, the event itself is a lot more fun. Uh, I enjoy the sprint racing format as well because, you know, things happen a lot faster and you get a little break between them. And, um, the, the, the company is all always more enjoyable at a grid life event. You know, you got the nighttime, uh, beer hangs and, and that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, and just the, the the competitive nature of the the grid life class is is second to none um i i'm not trying to sound cocky at all but it's like if we showed up to a wrl race and our car ran well like we were always easily in the hunt for a podium if not uh, a class win and uh there was uh, several instances where we had overall wins with a car that was in like gp3 like three classes down from the top um it's just it's it's um Sometimes it's a little too easy in, in WRL, um, and uh, grid life is the exact opposite. I mean, you've got guys out there like Kutil, like Aaron, my boss, um, and the other guys that, you know, they're hard to keep up with. Yeah. And uh, it really drives you to, to try to get the best out of your car, your setup, everything. Um, yeah, we were we were kind of talking about this upcoming year, and we. I think we really think that at any given race, there are eight people fully capable of winning, not podiuming, but winning each race. Yeah. And I don't, that's insane to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not like that in any other club racing too. No. No, I was just saying besides amateur maybe motorsport. like, yeah, besides maybe some of the like higher number, higher volume spec classes or whatever. Um, but to have the diversity of the field that GLTC has and uh, from people from all walks of life and uh, all different types of cars and some guys that buy their cars, sometimes some guys that build their cars in their garage, um, it's, yeah. it's insane how, f how fast they are and how competitive they are. Yeah. Yeah. A few weeks ago, we went to NCM uh, to do some testing with the car and for me to get some coaching 
And that was my first time not doing a grid life event in uh, a year, something like that. Uh huh. And, and again, like not to feel cocky cause it was just, it was really bizarre for me, but it's like, I was I, in the advanced group, one of the fastest cars on track and there were a lot of big American new V8s and Porsches, GT cars and new Corvettes and stuff like that. And it's like me and my, what feels like my really rinky dink Miata, like in the GLTC pack, like probably still hopefully upper mid pack yeah, running times. And it's like, I'm feeling like a rock star and I go back to GLTC and it's like, Oh yeah, this is what the <laughs> middle feels like. <laughs> I'll see you guys later. You'll have a yeah. nice race. <laughs> All right, yeah. we'll see you guys at the end. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, where'd that Caterham come from? We've talked about the Miata, but where did that thing, where'd that thing come uh, from? That was a passion project that took way too long. Um, <laughs> it started. Did you actually uh, like the end- buy the kit? No, no, no. I okay. built the car from scratch. Yeah. Like, bought steel tubing and aluminum sheet and yeah. literally built the, hand-built the frame, hand-built most of the body, the fiberglass pieces I bought. But, um, yeah, it's, it's one of one. It's a completely stupid way to do it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I drove a, a, a real Caterham. Um, at the end of the, the racing school, I... I got chosen for like they call it graduate runoffs and they sent us to uh, Silverstone to compete in this this like driving competition okay. and uh, one of the one of the like events in the competition was an autocross in a just really basic Caterham and uh, I'd never driven one before and to this day it's like one of the most exhilarating things I've ever done I just remember the car was like it's like no- nothing and I'd ever driven and I'd driven like aeroed formula ford 2000s and stuff like that this thing just felt like way more alive than anything i'd ever felt uh way more visceral it was like the at the time i described it it was like any car i'd ever driven but on fast forward it's just Mm. so cool and i've always loved the way they look which is kind of a strange thing to love because they look kind of funny um and uh yeah and at the time when i started building it i was you know not broke but i didn't have a lot of money and couldn't afford to buy a real caterham or uh, at the time even really like buy a kit and build one myself and so I started just building one in my garage um, there's there's plans online that you can download for free there's a couple books that have been written about it that kind of give you sort of the basic dimensions and and rough idea for for plans and I took those modified them for the drivetrain I chose the 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 um, spindles, uprights, brakes that I chose and basically built the car from literally the ground up. So the frame is all hand-built by, by me. I actually taught myself how to weld by building that car. Uh, did, did a lot of practicing before I did any finished welding. Um, I built the cage, uh, borrowed a tubing bender from a friend and, and made the roll cage for it. Um, I uh, every Every sheet metal piece of the body I, I did by hand I just bought like four by eight sheets of aluminum like pre-painted uh, uh, aluminum and um, you know riveted them to the frame uh, I designed and built all the suspension 
I got like a really basic uh, suspension geometry program that was like a free download online and mapped out where the pickup points for the suspension could be. Um, you know, uh, you can run the suspension through its motion and see how much camber gain and if it's going to bump steer and what the roll center heights and, and all that stuff is. And uh, literally just designed and built the car over a really, really long period of time uh, from scratch. Um, like I said, the only things I bought were like the nose cone is fiberglass, the fenders are fiberglass, the uh, like dash panel, they call it the scuttle. It's like the base of the windshield. Um, mm -hmm. That's a fiberglass piece. Those are all like kit car parts, um, but I didn't buy a kit. I just bought, I piecemealed the parts that I needed and built the rest. So how long did this process take you? Uh, it was a 10-year period <laughs> of building the car, uh, but I was actually only working on the car hot and heavy for about three-ish three, three -ish years. Okay. I started on it, and then we moved uh, across town. I had to kind of set the garage up again. We had our first child. I didn't touch the car until after we had our second child, and um, and then I got back into it after selling my Civic and I told myself I kind of cut myself off cold turkey selling the, the Civic which was the track car at the time and I said if I don't finish this car I'm not going to go to the track I, I don't want like any outside influences keeping me from finishing this car like next time I go to the track it will be in this car and uh, and so I just and every night put the kids to bed at 9 9 p.m. and I come out in the garage until 1 or 2 in the morning almost every day of the week for a, a couple of years to finish it. Uh, wow. It was crazy. And if I could do it all over again, I would probably not do it that way because it took way too long. And, and, uh, but I'm, I'm proud of the product that, that, uh, that I put together. I love it. I'll never sell the car. I'll, if my kids don't want it when I die, you can just bury me in it. Cause it's, it's heirloom quality to me at this point. It's, you know, yeah. I can't imagine anyone else ever having it. Um, uh, it's, it came out exactly the way I, I hoped it would. Um, so it's it was a fun project, but man, it's really exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> like, it makes uh, building it makes building a Miata in three months for GLTC seem like you know yeah. play. <laughs> like well, kids child's play. I was about to say, just with that you just put some bolts and some holes and tighten some stuff. I mean you're not designing suspension and building yeah tubes i mean it's yep again like that the difference seth mentioned earlier about formula teams versus street cars that play at race car things it seems like a different world yeah and i drew on you know some of my experience with uh with the professional racing team uh some of my experience with working on street cars and and kind of try to you know blend it all together into into this car and i think it turned out really nice so you so you took 10 years to build a caterham <laughs> you when you say that out loud it sounds insane doesn't it <laughs> well mm -hmm. yep you things like this happen have you ever seen the story about the guy that like built a lamborghini countach in his basement yes and then had yeah. to like literally like yeah designed it to leave i was kind of i was kind of that guy but i did it above ground so <laughs> i was at I least sure a little smarter than him I make sure I show my wife all those things. So I'm like, see, I'm super normal. Look at this guy. <laughs> I'll start to yeah. use you as an example too. So just you make my list now. Okay. 
Yeah. All right. This is coming from Seth, the guy who rebuilt the AMG minivan engine because the dealership wanted $57,000 to do it. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so Seth so. bought so Seth bought a lift and did it himself. <laughs> yeah, and that sounds completely normal compared to you building a car from scratch. So thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Anytime. Yeah. yeah. Um, so even as you were kind of describing the your roles with the race team out in California, that you like to be hands-on, you have spent a quarter of your life working on and building one car, um, you... You just you seem to like to do things hands on. You've even mentioned that you have a hard time like delegating and like letting other people yeah. <laughs> letting other yeah. people do things. Where where does that mentality and that attitude how does that like bleed over into non car related things and we don't have to talk about your wife if you don't want to i'm just just like in general where does that el where else does that show up gosh that's some existential question i wasn't ready for thanks bro uh welcome yeah. to the show <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i mean um my wife is you know my partner so obviously i have 100 percent trust in her um i wouldn't be with her if i didn't so I guess uh, when it comes to anything else related to, uh, you know, raising the kids or maintaining the house or the finances or whatever, like we're all in together. There's no, there's no lack of trust or faith in, in anything like that. Um, I don't know. It's, I get, I guess it's a weird personality trait of mine to, to not be able to feel like I can trust somebody with, with, uh, with preparing a car that, you know, it's I guess at the end of the day it has if I'm the crew chief for the car for all the cars they still have my name attached to them so I feel like sure. responsible for for every detail of them yeah yeah it's really yeah. mainly it's really mainly down to cars it's nothing nothing else about my life is is uh, overly complicated <laughs> yeah yeah I mean and it seems like there's that that pride in having whatever your name is attached to be of what I I think what you might say is your your quality of product yep that's a better way to say it <laughs> okay. okay okay we'll that's call it good. pride we won't call it like control <laughs> <laughs> hey man whatever helps you Lack sleep at night yeah exactly <laughs> what um now i thought it was kind of cool that as you were describing your dad kind of got you into at least instilled the passion about of cars into you even though he wasn't a driver himself and you guys last fall kind of had a neat trip that certainly resonated with me and kind of my story but i wanted i wanted you could you would you just mind talking about that trip with your dad yeah no worries um so it was the end of the grid life season it was obviously a long and arduous season <laughs> uh, yes. i was you know relieved that it was over it, it was great uh, it was great fun while it was happening but um you know at the end of the season you always want to kind of unwind and and uh and have some fun 
And uh, I had been to this track once before down in Atlanta called uh, Atlanta Motorsports Park. Um, it's like a Herman Tilka designed track. Really cool place. If you ever get a chance to go there, I highly recommend it. I'm a lot of going there on the one lap, which yes. is why I asked for your video. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Dude, it's an because awesome I can't, place. I'm not going to get to drive it before I drive it with a stopwatch. Wow. That's a crazy place for a one lap, uh, you know, uh, event because yeah it's a busy place um it's so uh normally when i go to the track i take like the wife and kids uh we have a camper that that we uh that my wife tows to the track and it's always like a family affair um but it'd been a while since my dad and i had like kind of a bro hang type of type weekend and uh this this fall event at amp seemed like the fer- perfect place to to get out uh with my dad and kind of get back to our roots of uh, you know, White Castle, or uh, sorry, not White Castle, Waffle House uh, uh, breakfast to start an adventure and yeah. and then uh, and then go to the track. Um, he had been to the track with me before, but not like in such a pers- personal personal way. Uh, we actually um, uh, camped inside my little enclosed trailer. So we set up like, you know, a coffee maker and a griddle <laughs> and had awesome breakfast sandwiches the next morning and nice and uh uh, it was it was a lot of fun we got cots and a little space heater for for uh at night and that track's kind of in the middle of nowhere so there's like not a whole lot of light pollution beautiful um uh starlit skies at night and the weather was really 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 nice and uh we had a great time um and it was like i said it was fun to get back to when i was 13 or whatever he would take me on you know, fun drives in the Miato or, uh, you know, little father son adventures. And it had been so long since we'd done anything like that. Uh, it was, it was fun to do. That's really cool. Yep. And, and like you said, you, um, you know, the first time I think you and I connected personally was probably two years ago at Blackhawk farms. Yep. Where, yeah, your wife and your kids were, and we were all kind of camping out, hanging out and whatnot. Um, I, I don't want to say it's it's atypical, but even in the GLTC paddock, which is a little bit older than your time attack paddock and things like that, yeah, your, your wife and your kids are, I'm not sure more often than not, but certainly not irregularly show up on a track weekend and come hang out and do race car stuff. And it sounds like this kind of thing basically goes back really far in your relationship with your wife. Yeah. Yeah. She loves coming to the racetrack. Um, when I worked on the racing team, she would come to every event that she could. Um, she, doesn't like driving on track herself. She's ridden with me a couple times and I don't think I'm a good enough driver to impress her. So she doesn't <laughs> necessarily enjoy riding along, um, but she enjoys being there. And especially if I'm competing, she wants to be there to support me. Um, and uh, the kids enjoy it as well. Um, everyone's so freaking nice in the GLTC paddock that you can't not want to be there um, to, to hang out with people. And even my kids get that, you know, they uh they stole your scooter once i remember that scott <laughs> yep. yep uh and uh yeah they they just have a good old time so every event they can come to they do and um it's great because then i don't have to feel like i'm away from them for the weekend yeah 
Yeah, I'm yeah. sure it makes that, you know, since you do have a wife, kids, dogs, I mean, you're, yeah. and the grid life schedule, no, it's not every weekend, but I mean, it's at least once a month. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then you're testing between events and it, yeah, you spend a lot of time at the track and, uh, and I love when they can come with me. Yeah. Um, I, I can't always focus all the energy I want to them and still be able to like keep the car maintained and remember to add fuel and stuff like that. Um, but, uh, I think they know that I care that they're there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, What's, where do you hope, like, I kind of want to ask a, a hopes and dreams question, but you're working at the winning formula, doing race prep stuff that you obviously love to do and you're good at. You're racing a Miata, very similar to one in looks anyway, that your dad had. You built mm -hmm. your dream car, like, you just put ABS in your you're me out like what what do you do that's next a, there's a whole podcast there i, was say, yeah. I think scott, scott wants to know if you've peaked i think that's his question have, have, is, I, is okay. this as good as life gets right now well, it's like and, and you just turned 40 <laughs> yeah this and, is fantastic uh, <laughs> like what <laughs> what what is next i mean are you just i'm just waiting for roger penske to call you know uh, no i'm just kidding uh, okay. i have i have zero aspirations for a professional racing career um and I know that ship sailed long, long ago. Uh, it, uh, I don't know. I guess two years ago, I would have never imagined that I was going to be fully back into wheel-to-wheel -wheel racing. Um, and here we are now. Um, so I guess I'm kind of just along for the ride. Um, sorry, you guys still there? Yep, we're still good. Okay. Yep, we're still here. Somebody called in. And I... Jerks. <laughs> I thought we lost. I thought I lost you. Uh, yeah, I guess. I guess I'm kind of just on for the ride. You know, I'm always looking for like the next thing to build or the next uh, the next car to tinker with. Um, I'm very sort of project oriented. So like, even last year when um, after I'd finished the case swap of my car, but the season hadn't started yet, I took it on me to totally redo the the inside of my like cheap cheap crappy old trailer. Um, so I. Yep. I guess uh, I guess I'm just somebody that you know can't leave well enough alone, or or uh, you know looks for things to do, um, and I'm sure racing and grid life will always keep me busy, uh, you know, always maintaining and or upgrading the car as as the times change, and um, you know, I guess I'm just kind of along for the ride. I don't know what to, I don't know what else to say. I don't really have like any like pie in the sky <laughs> aspirations. I will say one day, and I'm 40, so I might need to think about this sooner than later. Um, <laughs> I want to buy uh, a Star Mazda race car, like the ones that I used to maintain. Yeah, um, they've come down in value. It's a great value for a race car. They're carbon tub, sequential gearbox, and they have uh, like just basically stock Renesis RX-8 rotary engines in them, okay. and they're they're like freakishly fast for what little money you you would need to spend on one to buy one and um, how much are they you can pick up like a decent one for like 25 to 30 now jeez and um just to put it in perspective like at road america 
the fastest grid life lap was something like a 234 does that sound right gltc yeah yes 236 ballpark i didn't run the fastest lap so i don't know what it was but uh our pole lap that we set in 2006 uh in star mazda was a 159 good god (laughs) holy cow (laughs) good and that is a yeah that is a stock like i think they put down about 230 horsepower to the wheels um and the cars are like actually pretty easy to maintain pretty easy to work on and again not like outlandishly expensive um and it would be kind of a throwback to like my early days in in motorsports and just be a cool car to own i'm i'm even trying to think what did what's will i young's record there in his time attack civic it's probably like a low two minute i was about to say i'm not sure i'm not sure he got in under two minutes yeah Mm -mm. i don't think he did and he's got 800 horsepower yeah and all the arrow that you can put on a production-based car all of it yep so yeah, you can still which, get you can still get parts for those. Those are still that series is uh, the like series is still around. The series okay. is still around, but they don't r- race that car anymore. That's why they've gotten so so cheap. Okay. Um, but uh, I think you can still get parts for them. Um, they kind of used parts from like a couple of different types of cars. Uh, Elon made uh, most of the parts for the cars. Um, and they also raced, uh, raced the cars as like, uh, MZR powered, um, sports racers with like full bodies. Um, and a lot of the parts are very similar. Hmm. So, but like gearbox parts and engine parts and all that stuff is still readily available. It would be like suspension components or, or something like that, that might be a little obscure to find, but I'm sure they're out there. Are they starting to play with those in vintage race? The... I don't want to say it's the gentleman's vintage racing, but I know some of the the older formula cars are starting to show up in in vintage racing now, um, which looks like a super fun place to play with old older formula cars. Yeah, yeah, and like uh, old Atlantic cars too. Uh, yeah. They'll 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 race them in vintage racing, and then also like they'll drop into SCCA like you know uh, unlimited sort of formula classes from time to time. Those cars I have no love for. I worked on those for uh, like two years. <laughs> those things are miserable pieces of crap. Uh, but the Star Mazda, the Star Mazda was like the sort of uh, I don't know the the uh, Goldilocks of the Formula cars. It was like fast enough and fun enough to drive, but also like easy to own and maintain. Yep. Yeah, that that would be a really cool callback to. Right. Oh, buy and own one of the cars that you helped maintain for so long at the beginning. Yeah. That that would uh that's 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 that could that could be a good like you know long term goal for me. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yep. What about your kids and uh, racing? And I ask that as somebody who's around <laughs> go kart dads all the time right now. So, <laughs> you have any have any thoughts in that direction? I've kind of like tried to sort of persuade them. I don't want to like force it on them at all. Right. Um, and like I said, they enjoy being at the track with me, but they don't really, none, none of them has shown real interest in like, you know, 
I've even offered to like get them a go kart before, and they they don't really seem to to budge at all. Um, all three girls, uh, the youngest one is five, about to turn five. The middle one's about to turn nine, and the oldest one is twelve. And they they like I said, they enjoy motorsports, but they don't really have any interest in um, in uh, in driving yet. I've taken them to like the the local go kart tracks, but they're not really that into it. Way cheaper that way. Good job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know, right? <clears throat> For I have now. taken them on like lunchtime touring laps before and like thrown them around. <laughs> when I had the Civic, it had a passenger seat, and um, you know, I'd throw them into a corner, and they they get excited. They still talk about it, but I don't think they really like have much interest was, in pursuing that was, it. That was a roller coaster ride of the day, and yeah, cool. yeah, yes. Yeah. Exactly. I'm trying to think of trying to think of what's so with the amount of knowledge and experience that you've kind of gained and had throughout your career besides dispensing it to idiots on Facebook <laughs> um like do you do you find pleasure or any enjoyment in helping others learn because you've had all this experience or is it just like something that you can offer other people I I enjoy it um I did uh like you know instructing for a while um and I always enjoyed uh doing driving instructing um and uh I'm always happy to help I'm always willing to help if anybody needs help um I never feel like I'm the end all be all for every, every topic or every, you know, form of, uh, whatever you're trying to fix on a car. Um, but, uh, I am always happy to help. So I guess that's, I guess that kind of sums up my attitude towards it. Yeah. I'd love to, I, I love getting my kids out in the garage with me and like letting them help me, um, on the car. Nice. What, what yeah. kind of stuff have they gotten into? You know they love using the wheel gun. Um, Wait, uh, a, a my, what? A wheel gun. Uh, <laughs> Impact I'm, wrench. <laughs> I don't know. Ne- never heard of her. No. Are it's you a breaker bar school. guy? Okay. We, although we've already Becky and I have already talked about the one lap, um, because we're going to be changing brake pads as well. I think I'm going to bring a impact gun to take the lugs off, not put them on. <laughs> i've got a method though it's like uh i've got torque settings on my impact gun and so when i install them i under torque them with the gun evenly and then once the car's on the ground i do a final torque but yeah. yeah um there's a there's a right way to do it if you if you have to um and with all the rain racing we did last year where you're trying to decide Jeez. at the last minute which tires you're going to go on kind of um, to i think you kind of have to have something like that to you know to keep up with the conditions um but back to like what what the kids have done in the garage before like for example my oldest daughter helped me make some templates for for the vinyl designs on the side of the car and stuff like that you know yeah usually just turns into can i have your phone while i'm out here you know (laughs) doing my time sitting with you in the garage (laughs) and then uh, i find some pretty great videos on my phone after that but yeah. Nice. 
<laughs> nice YouTube stuff. Yeah. Well, is there anything you want to plug or thank or shout outs, anything like that? Um, I guess in the thanking department, um, you know, you have to give credit to Adam Jabay uh, and the whole Grid Life crew, um, especially all the volunteers that, that work the event. Yeah. Um, I always try to go out of my way to, to thank them. The guys work in the, the, you know, pit lane, uh, the guys, you know, selling the t-shirts, the guy, you know, the guys working the, the gates. Um, I always try to try to thank those guys when I can, um, you know, treat, treat them and the corner workers with a lot of respect because, uh, they're out there, um, working so that we can all have fun. Um, Adam has selflessly, not ruined his life, but definitely, uh, definitely shortened his lifespan by at least a few years, uh, dealing with all of our text messages and, and Facebook groups and, and, uh, so that we can go racing and have a good time at these, at these track events. Um, the, the whole grid life community is like just so cool that, um, I, I'm really appreciative of, of the, the, uh, the support and the sort of like, you know, the camaraderie in the community um, up and down, up and down the paddock. Um, I got to thank, uh, the place I work winning formula, you know, they, uh, they helped me, uh, put together a, a competitive car and, um, help me get to and from the track. And, and I'm sure I wouldn't be nearly up near the front as I am without their support. So, um, have to thank those guys. Um, and then, uh, Miata hubs, which I'm, sure you're familiar with as well back to jeff preston and justin lee the guys that own and you know started me out of hubs um those guys have been really helpful in uh in keeping my car safe and reliable over the years um so i really appreciate the the help that they've they've given me nice yep all right speed round are you ready uh i guess so i don't know (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I've, I fully expect Seth to come up with a question or two here too uh, favorite track or two of yours to drive uh, NCM or Barber okay yeah. um, dream car favorite dream uh, car like a Caterham 7 is my f- yeah. favorite car ever Shortly- the car that you- yeah, the car that I basically the car that I built, and then a, a Lotus Elise um, uh, is probably uh, up there as well. My daughter's middle name is Elise. My other daughter's <laughs> name is Ilana, so it's like there's a theme there. <laughs> yeah. If the, if the Miata explodes in a giant fiery death, what's the next GLTC car? With you not uh, in it. ND two probably. Really, 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 really competent fast car yep interesting that's I love uh, those cars that's one of the first times i've heard that suggested for a gltc car i think i think one other i've heard but that'd be interesting i i think like to be a truly competitive gltc car at this point it's probably got to have a six cylinder but uh i just love that new miata and the one i've driven on track was like life alteringly good so I always say, like, if I barrel roll my car and it's a complete yard sale, it's I'd probably be trying to find a cheap ND2. Yep. Yep. Um, worst motorsports experience. I think you already told this story, but I wanted to ask anyway. 
Oh gosh, that forty-eight hour thing wasn't even close to the worst motorsports experience for me. <laughs> oh, okay. A WRL, a WRL race at Road America. It's the only time I've ever crashed. Um, I hit fluid, dropped by a BMW that lost an oil line in turn three and made it all the way down to the front straight before it uh, blew up and dropped oil all the way around the track. And I uh, got to the kink. Luckily, I was going slower than I would normally go in the kink because I was bottled up behind some traffic and uh, hit the oil and just went straight at the kink. I would normally take that corner in that car at probably like 98 miles an hour. I think I was only going like 80 or something. Jesus. And complete left side of the car was destroyed. Um, funny story, that car was actually rebuilt and now West Penn owns it. Um, but at the time, it was like car. a complete write-off. And uh, it wasn't my car and I felt awful. And my teammates were so cool about it because they they realized that any one of us could have been in the car and been in that same situation. And uh, yeah, that was far and away the work I was. Uh, that's as close as I've ever come to like actually giving up on motorsports because I just felt so terrible. Terrible that I, I guess I'm, I'm curious, terrible because you wrecked someone's car terrible because you felt like you almost died. What? Uh... No, I wasn't worried about like bodily harm. I was worried about me crashing someone else's car, even though it was totally out of my control. Yeah. Um, and I'm usually pretty pretty well in control of the car. Um, that was that was a situation where I just I had no chance to recover from it. Yep. Hmm. I like brushed the brakes to enter the kink because there was someone slow in front of me, and turned in and I just went straight. So every time I go through the kink, I look at that wall. I still take it flat in a GLTC car. I think it's a hundred and you turn it at 118 or something like that. No, you it's do. not FS. No, 110. <laughs> you do. I do not. It's yeah, and like, I still do it, but it's uh, that was that was awful. Yep. Yeah. That's... Okay. Last question. No, I have, I have a last question. This is relevant to All Scott. Right. How do you feel about air conditioning in street-driven track cars? <laughs> uh, Screw you. <laughs> when I had my Civic and I would drive it to and from the track. I had taken air conditioning out of it, and I wish I hadn't. Yeah. Uh, but it was not a competitive race car. It was a track toy. So I think there's a fine line there. Um, I certainly applaud what Scott is doing with uh, with the car and with Becky and the tire should, trailer. And you shouldn't. Nobody should. I have, <laughs> I, have so utmost, I have utmost respect. I think there should be a trophy for what you guys do. Um, actually, there was, and you won it. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's it's fun for track toys, and I think it's you know at the end of the day, it may hurt the competitive advantage of the car. So I can see why you wouldn't want it in there. Yeah, it. Thank you. There, there, <laughs> there, there, there is a reason we are also looking to tow next year. So <laughs> maybe one of the coolest uh, things I remember seeing when I was on the pro, the pro racing team. We were testing at Button Willow at like a SCCA or a NASA race weekend. And um, we were, our cars had just gone out and there was the next group was gridding up behind us in the, in pre-grid. And it was like a thousand degrees in Button Willow. If you've ever been to Button Willow, it's like central California. There's nothing for miles. It's a, just the armpit of California, but uh, it was hot as hell. And there was a spec Miata idling on pre-grid and the windows were up. 
And I was like, this guy forgot to take his windows out. And I like walked up to him and I realized that his windows are up and his AC compressor was cycling because he had the <laughs> AC on in his race car on pre-grid. I was like, okay, well that, those are goals right there. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I remember, I remember hearing uh Yarborough talk about never wanting to take AC out of his, uh, out of his former track car because, uh, because it's more comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. I I get it. I get it. I really do. <laughs> if you've ever seen me at the track on a even a, a mildly warm day, I'll be sweating. So, I'm all for air conditioning. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's not. I have a I have like a, you know, inline blower fan that I point at my face in the car to try to get a little airflow. Um, but yeah, AC might be on the to-do list eventually. ABS was a higher priority. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Priorities, you know. Stopping mm-hmm. quicker, feeling cool. Yep. Well, Emil, thanks for taking some time out and talking with us. Of course. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, looking forward, and I know you and the whole crew will be at NCM here in a week and a half. I know. I just have to finish all the cars now so everybody can go to the track. I'm build, I'm doing another K-Swap right now that I have to finish before that event. So, um, Into yeah. a Miata? Yes. Okay. Yeah, an NA, NA Miata. There's so it's a, many. It's a K24Z3. And this guy, this guy's really fast, so I expect him to come out come out swinging. He'll be, he'll be top five easy. Um, he's a yeah, really good driver. Ethan was giving me a little, uh, a little hint about what may be coming here. Yeah, you know, I was okay with all the K swaps you guys were doing until you K swapped another red NB, and <laughs> you know, that's kind of my thing. <laughs> well, that car's been wrapped gray since then, so. Oh, okay. You're good. Yep. Okay, I can be yeah, the red like a, one again. It's like a chalk gray. We still have the red one, uh, Brandon Puck, that we did at the end of last year. Yeah. Um, and then we did another red NB, but that's the gray one now, and then this gray NA. There's always something going on. Yep. And then Pervez blew, just blew up his FRS. Yeah. So we got to decide if we're going to put an engine in that thing before NCM. It's going to suck if he misses that event, but we've got so much other stuff going on right now. Yeah, you want to be up for another 48 hours? <laughs> <laughs> I think the question at this point is becoming, is Pervez going to put another FA20 in it or if he's going to K-swap it? Um, and I think he seems to, be, seems to be leaning towards the, the K-swap but I just don't think the parts are ready yet. Yeah, he's kind of at the very pointy end of that, being able to buy a kit and yep. send it. So we'll see. Yep. Well, cool. Well, thanks, Emil. Um, we'll look forward to all that. And uh, here we are at Trackwalking Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Trackwalking Chats is the group on Facebook uh, if you want to, ask questions, share some experiences, stuff like that. Uh, It'll be cool and fun. And uh, yeah, I think that's it. So for the three of us here, I'm Scott. I'm Seth. And I'm Emil Tab. Thanks for having me on, guys. You got it. Have a good week. We'll talk to you next week. See ya.